Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. All right, you guys, we want to go ahead and stand for the reading of the word. We have Revelation 14, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. All right, 14 says, 1 through 7, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps, and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not, did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among, among men and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are, they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel proclaimed to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. This is the word of the Lord. Wow. Revelation. Here we go again. There's some... There's some, uh, just some interesting, we could just say this, weird stuff. Like, did you like, catch what she just read there? Oh, that's why we love Revelation. I'm so glad you guys are here today. I, I, I feel like there's something that Jesus has for you today. You ready for it? I really believe that with all my heart. Uh, as I dove into chapter 14, there's so much in there, we're not even going to cover it all. It is too good, too amazing, but we got some great stuff for us today. I just love what God's doing here this morning. I just sense God speaking to you. He's already doing some things in our lives, in our hearts. He's stirring up faith. Some of you, you're feeling encouraged. You're feeling refreshed. And uh, some of us just needed that refreshing today. I just love what God's doing here today, but also in our community, in our church. I just love what God is doing. And, And again, we would love to get you involved using your gifts somewhere. If you're not serving somewhere in Rivers, talk to me, talk to somebody, one of the leaders, one of the pastors. We want to get you using your gifts and make this place better with your gifts, all right? So, hey, let's pray. Uh, there's a lot stirring within me, so let's pray, and uh, we'll go to the Word. Lord, thank you so much for your incredible Word that you have given to us, and thank you for that crazy book at the end of the Bible called Revelation. Lord, we just are so thankful for all that we learn in it. And today, uh, Jesus, we just ask that you would speak to us, reveal yourself to us in a new way, in a fresh way. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see you more clearly. God, I pray that today we would have a greater vision of who you are. Today, I pray that we would be captivated by you, Jesus. 
We wouldn't be captivated by weird stories and crazy end times theology. Lord, my prayer is that we'd be captivated by you and willing to follow you wherever you lead us. Oh, Jesus, I pray that in your name. Amen. 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 All right, go ahead and have a seat and go ahead and give me a Go Hawks. That's pretty weak, but I anticipated. The question I want us to wrestle with today is this. Am I willing to follow the lamb wherever he leads? Am I willing to follow the lamb wherever he leads? So we are in week two of season three of Apocalypse. We're back into Revelation, diving into chapter 14 today. Here we go, back into the thick of all the... The, the good, the rich, the crazy, that is Revelation. Super excited. Uh, Pastor John Mark kicked off season three last week, gave us a great overview of where we've been, what Revelation is all about, kind of got us in the mindset and ready. Okay, here we go. We're going to Revelation again. So chapter 14, obviously we finished chapter 12 and 13 when we last were in this apocalypse series. And now we're in chapter 14. And as you go through Revelation, sometimes we... we we think that Revelation is really like this series of sequential events. And they may not necessarily be what Revelation is. Because it, it, John sees this, and, and then he says, and then I saw this, and then I saw this. And it, it could very likely be John sees things, and it's just a deeper view or perspective of what's already been happening. And it could be happening simultaneously. It could be something that connects with something earlier. It's like he looks here, and he sees this, and he looks here, and he sees this. I likened it, I think, in season two to Interstellar, that famous scene in Interstellar when Matthew McConaughey is stuck in the black hole, and he's looking. If you haven't seen Interstellar, by the way, it's one of the greatest sci-fi movies of ever, uh, especially of the last decade. And I won't spoil it completely for you, but he's like peering through a moment in time, seeing this, this place. And then he's out over here in this other place. He's looking here, and he's seeing the same thing, the same place, but it's a different moment in time. And, and, and so it's, it's kind of like that where some of this might connect in different ways than we thought, not just sequentially. And what we do see very clearly in Revelation is this. There is a war going on. There is a battle. That's very clear in Revelation. And you and I have a choice. Which side are we going to be on? Are we going to follow and worship the lamb? Are we going to follow and worship the dragon? The two choices. And there's this battle going on not just in the heavenly realms, not just this cosmic battle, but it's, there's a battle going on for your soul, for you and me, and we've got a choice, and that's what I want us to really look at and wrestle with here today. So we left off in, in chapter 12 and 13, and 12 and 13, if you like end times theology and studying that, if you like Revelation, that's like the really, really good stuff, because we're looking at the dragon, Satan himself, the beast out of the sea, which represented the Antichrist, and the beast of the earth, which was the false prophets, kind of like that false trinity kind of a thing. And then it went into the mark of the beast. How many of you have heard of the mark of the beast? So we looked at that. And if all that stuff interests you, then go back and you can listen to season one last fall, season two last spring, and, and, and you can catch up on all that. It's, it's, it's good. It can be fun to study, but here's, here's our posture. We don't want to get caught up in, in who's the Antichrist. We want to get caught up in Jesus Christ, okay? So... We're about Jesus, not the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast and all that kind of stuff. I just really want to keep pointing you to Jesus. Because you get in chapter 12 and 13 and you, you see this, 
the, the battle is like, it's coming to, it almost seems, seems like a pinnacle. Like, this is getting intense. Is the devil going to win? Like, he seems to be having a heyday. And then chapter 14 comes, and you see Jesus is back on the scene. And so let's read those first two verses uh, again. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion. That's really a reference to Jerusalem. It's, it specifically means the Temple Mount, where the temple was forever, where the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, all that, that specifically would be Mount Zion. John seems to be seeing this. This is a heavenly vision here. And so this very well could be the city that's going to come down from the sky when the, when the new city comes. And that's the forever city, the forever heaven that God's people live in. And so he's seeing this, and that's where Jesus is. He's on Mount Zion. There's a whole bunch of people with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peal of thunder. We heard that yesterday here. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. Okay, so as I started going into chapter 14, this is what it kind of reminded me of. Thinking back to chapters 12 and 13 and then to the transition into 14, it kind of reminded me of like a sporting event when the announcer will announce the visitor team, and it's kind of like, now the visitor team, here's the starting lineup, and then, you know, but then the, the home team gets announced, and everyone's like, it's like loud and crazy. Has anybody ever been to a game like that? Like, you ever been to a Phoenix Suns game? Those are the best. Oh, man, that arena goes crazy. And so if you go to see a Phoenix Suns game, it's super fun, especially now that they're actually good, because <laughs> they weren't for a long time. They would announce the visiting team. You know, the announcer would say, now you're Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. And, people, and there's a few Lakers fans that are trying to scream and yell. But it's not very loud. And then it gets to the home team. And the announcer is like, and now for your Phoenix Suns, everybody on your feet. And everyone jumps up and the music's just rocking. And you're just, yeah, you got your towel. And, and then the, these pillars of fire are blown out fire. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Like, it doesn't matter where you're at in the arena. You can feel the heat from those flames coming out of those pillars of fire. It is awesome. You're like, yeah. If you don't like the Suns or basketball, you would love that moment. And the announcers are screaming. The lights are, you know, the, the house lights go down, but there's these flashing lights. The fire's going. He's like, and Devin Booker. And they're like, yeah, you know, that's kind of what chapter 14 feels like to me, right? It's like, now here he is, the lamb. And there's this loud, this loud uh, rushing water sound that John hears and, and, and his peals of thunder is like thundering and he's like the harpists are just rocking out. It's super loud and then all of a sudden all these people are just, they're singing and they're singing a new song. That's kind of what it reminded me of, I guess. It feels like this. It's the lamb. Here he is. Jesus, the lamb. Here he is on Mount Zion. So Jesus sees the lamb again. I love that reference. You know, Jesus being the perfect lamb uh, that was slain for us. You know, you think about John, who's writing the revelation, having the revelation, then writes it down for us. In his gospel, you got the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all about the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. John wrote one of the gospels. So the gospel of John, chapter one, it talks about how John the Baptist sees Jesus. And in verse 29, chapter one, John sees him walking by and says, look, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. And so here he is again. Here's Jesus, the Lamb. 
And it goes through verse four, you know, describes the people with Jesus there. They're singing a song. They're singing this new song. Uh, Verse three says that. And actually, then verse four says this. Let's read verse four. Um, These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. Hmm. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. Am I willing to follow the lamb wherever he goes, wherever he leads me in my life? That's the question. So these people that are there with Jesus are described as those who did not defile themselves with women. It's kind of a, a sexual reference, but really it's more of a spiritual reference. It's speaking spiritually. These are people that stayed true to Jesus. They didn't defile themselves with the things of the world. They just stayed close to Jesus. They were in, to, they were obsessed with Jesus. They wanted to be so close to him. They didn't want the things of this world. So they were true and had this pure devotion to, to Jesus. You know, as you read through Revelation, it's easy to get to this and have this mindset where you think, man, this is weird, it's crazy, it's gonna be tough. Man, to live in the last days, whoa. Man, that's why I'm like all pre-trip, man. I'm like, Jesus, before all this craziness, you're taking me, right? And we've talked about that in this apocalypse series, but there's pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation rapture where Jesus is gonna rapture his people. He's gonna rapture his bride, the church. And there's gonna be a seven-year period called the tribulation where it's gonna get hazy. And this is part of what's going on here. We see this probably in, towards the end of the tribulation, likely, is where we're at in chapter 14. And so we read all this stuff and we're thinking timeline and tribulation and you think rapture and you're like, like Jesus, you better take me out before all of this happens. I don't want to be a part of this. At the very least, could you do it like midway? I, I'll, I'll, I could endure half maybe, but not post. No, no way. And so we wrestle with that in our theology and who knows what's really right. You know, there's the whole idea of like, I'm pan trip. It's going to all pan out in the end, right? So we'll figure it out. It, when it happens, it happens. But we read through these, these, these things that are happening. You're like, man, it's going to be so hard. I don't want to go through that. And we think in timeline, and like, look at these guys. These guys are just devoted to Jesus. That's great. Who are these people? Are they people who are martyrs who lost their life during the tribulation? Perhaps. Maybe it was before. Uh, You know, who who are these people? And we kind of think, like, maybe this is people that were, you know, towards the end of the tribulation that, that were martyred, and so Jesus has them now, and they're with Jesus. They're getting their rewards. And we kind of think in, in, in terms of timelines, and it doesn't really apply to me, though. It's kind of our tendency. You ever been there? Like, you read through Revelation, like, well, that's going to be weird. Sucks for them. But for me, uh, this doesn't really apply to me. But I think it's important for us to take a story like this and ask ourselves questions like, what caused them to be so devoted to Jesus? Why were they so devoted? Why were they so close to him? There had to be a moment of decision for those people where they decided they were all in with Jesus. There had to be a moment where they really, truly made Jesus their Lord. It's a lordship 
thing. These people made Jesus their Lord. He wasn't just their Savior. He, they, they didn't just accept his forgiveness, but they made Jesus the Lord, the leader, the king of their life. And there's got to come a moment of decision for you and I. Is we really going to make him the Lord of our life? This this lordship issue that we have to deal with. Am I willing to truly give Jesus every single area of my life and make him the Lord? We all love Jesus as a savior. Forgives us, you you receive his grace. Thank you, Jesus, I'm with you forever in heaven. That's awesome. Now I can go kind of live my way, but am I gonna make him king and Lord of my life in every single area of my life? These people obviously had settled the lordship issue and made Jesus the Lord of their life. I think we should even take stories like this deeper and say, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to make Jesus the Lord of my life? Am I willing to be counted as one of those that wherever the lamb leads, I'll go? Wherever he leads. It's kind of like the opposite of that old, Mary had a little lamb, you know, like the lamb followed Mary everywhere she went, right? The lamb was sure to go. Just like the opposite of that, right? Like you and I would follow the lamb, follow Jesus. Wherever he would lead, no matter what. Because he's not just my savior, he's my Lord. He's my king. He's my leader, and I I trust him. And not only that, uh, no matter what happens, I just want to be so close to him. I just want to be right by his side wherever he leads. Are you willing to live a life like that? What if he called you to leave your job and go to move to Europe and be a missionary? You willing to follow Jesus there? (laughs) What if he called you to adopt a kid? You willing to follow Jesus there? What if he said, I want you to give up blank? You fill in the blank or you think about the blank or Jesus can fill it in for you. Are you willing to give up anything and everything to be so close to him that wherever he leads, wherever he goes, you're right there? Let's be real, guys. We're kind of into our comfort. We like to be comfortable. And so if we're really gonna follow Jesus that way, it's not comfortable, it is so uncomfortable. It, is, it can be so scary, so freaky. It requires what I would call radical faith, serious radical faith. But here's the deal. There's a lot of believers in Jesus that are living lives that require zero faith. They don't do anything throughout their days, throughout their weeks that require any step of faith. Like any moment where like, okay, Jesus, I think you're in this. I'm gonna step out and do this. And if you don't show up, I'm looking like an idiot. We're scared. We don't want to do that because it's uncomfortable. We love our comfort, right? But I think we should be more into the calling that Jesus has for our life than the comfort that we want for our life. We're way more into our comfort than our calling. Jesus has got a calling on your life, and he wants to lead you to places that you would be freaked out if he told you all the things he wanted to do, but are you willing to trust him? Do you love him that much that you would just follow Jesus? I love you that much. I will go wherever you lead me to go. Maybe he's calling you to go share your faith with a coworker this week. Would you be willing to follow Jesus there into that moment? Maybe he wants you to go and pray for somebody. Not like just pray for them, like in your own alone time, but actually like go lay hands on them and in Jesus' name just pray that they would be healed. Are you willing to step out in faith and have those moments where 
it's God's reputation on the line, not our reputation. We think it's about us, right? I'm going to look like an idiot, so it's my reputation. No, it's God's reputation. But I sense that Jesus is in this, so I'm going to step out, and I'm going to do it because I think he's leading me here. We might fail, and that's okay. Because if we're going to really step out and, and try to follow Jesus the best that we can, there's going to be moments of failure, like, oh, I missed that one, and that's okay. But it's uncomfortable. Are you willing to follow the Lamb? wherever he leads. Hmm. Man, I could go on and on with examples. But maybe you already sent some things that God's been speaking to you in the last week, maybe even this morning. He's calling you to do something, to go somewhere, to be a part of something. And it's amazing how easy it is for us to make up excuses, right? We can justify our disobedience to Jesus' call so easily. And that's pretty scary, Oh, I don't know, I don't have time. Like, you really want me to go to a Tuesday night prayer meeting here? And like, I'm just, it's nice to get home and just relax and just kind of just unwind. And maybe Jesus is calling you to do something like that because he's like, I just want to get closer to you. I, 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 want, I want to be near you. I, I'm calling you deeper into me and what I have for you. Are you willing to follow the lamb wherever he leads? Here's the deal, guys. I think we should live a life that just does not make sense except Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you've seen that and experienced that? How is that even possible? Jesus. Like, you're, ser- like you're into that? Like, you like that? What, like, why? Jesus. Like, that's happened? Like, you've seen prayers answered and people healed? Like, how do you explain that? Jesus. Like, you don't want to do this? How come you don't want to do this? Everyone loves to do this. Jesus. Like, I think we should live lives that just are inexplainable except for Jesus. And in order for that to happen, we have to be willing to follow the Lamb wherever He leads, wherever He goes. You live a life that way, and you will live one of those lives that's like, Jesus is all over you. Like, I know you. There's no way you could live that life. That has to be Jesus. There must be a God. He must be real for you to see those things, for you to be living that kind of life in the midst of all that you're walking through. Jesus must be real. Man, I just, I I would love that our lives would scream so loud that the only explanation is Jesus because we're following the lamb wherever he leads. You know, the call to follow the lamb is a call to lay down our life. It's to lay down our life, to trust him. Jesus laid down his life for us first. And so it's a call to follow him in the same thing, to lay down our life and just follow him. And and I love that these people here in Revelation, they're being honored. Like this, these people with the lamb, with Jesus, these are not people who live lukewarm, compromising lives in their faith. These are people who had radical faith. They were so close to Jesus that they, it's like they got their greatest pleasure in their life from being close to Jesus because they didn't pursue the pleasures of the world. Jesus was their pleasure. I believe that Jesus can be the greatest pleasure of our life. He is such a joy. He is so amazing, so incredible. And I pray that you and I would be obsessed with Jesus, captivated by him. It's easy to be captivated by things in life. But I pray that you and I just would be captivated and obsessed with Jesus. Like this last couple of weeks, I've watched a lot of Mariner games, to be honest. 
And I love the Mariners. I love sports. And it was so amazing. Like, I got to watch playoff baseball with the Seattle Mariners actually in it for the first time in over two decades. And for me, that was like, mm, this is awesome. The first two games of the playoffs were incredible. The last three, like they couldn't even win a game yesterday, and they had 18 innings to win one game. It's like, oh my God. It's, if you can't win one game in 18 innings, then yeah, your season's over. Go, go home. <laughs> but uh, Amy might say at times, Tyron, you're a little obsessed with you know, Mariners and baseball and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> we, we, uh, there's so many things I'm already saying I did not plan. It's amazing how the spirit leads. We're on our romantic 20 anniversary getaway last week, laying on the beach for hours. And what's Tyrone doing on the beach? <laughs> it was the greatest place to watch Mariners playoff baseball. I'm on the beach. I'm hanging out at... Santa Monica Beach, and watching my Mariners, like, I, this is the life, Amy. And she's like, yeah, great anniversary, huh? Yeah, this is great. <laughs> so, so uh, where was I? Oh, um, like, I enjoy all that stuff, but if I, if I really obsess over that too much and just base my life in sports and Seahawks and Mariners and all that, I'm just going to live a very disappointed life. I want to be obsessed Oh, Jesus. I want to be all about Jesus. I want Jesus to captivate me and you more than anything else in this life. Like, there's things that we love and enjoy. Awesome. You love those and enjoy those things. But it's amazing how we can put so many things above Jesus in our life. And so many well-meaning followers of Jesus can easily justify putting their family over Jesus, their kids over Jesus. Or we can find our career, our hobbies over Jesus. And I love Jesus, but I love this other stuff a little bit more. And we can justify that so easily. And I pray that we would just be so obsessed with Jesus that wherever he leads, that's where I am. You know, Paul wrote this in Corinthians. He says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And I pray that that would be us that we would just continue to have a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We can be led astray. It could, it could happen. But we won't have that pure devotion to Christ. Just like those people that are standing there with the Lamb, they had this pure devotion to Jesus. I think to genuinely follow Jesus wherever he goes, we must have these two things that, if I could summarize the last five minutes, a sincere and pure devotion and a radical faith. Those two things. Come on, friends, don't live a life that requires no faith. Oh, step out in faith this week. Let Jesus lead you. Just say, hey, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Where are you gonna lead me today? Who am I gonna minister? Who am I gonna bless? Who am I gonna encourage today? Today, God, use me. We get caught up in our responsibilities and doing all this good stuff that we miss out on the great things that he has for us. Jesus, I wanna follow you wherever you lead me today. So lead me so that I'm not just leading myself. Moving on, verse six. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him. 
who has made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and the springs of water. <laughs> That's just a crazy thought when you read that. Like, could you imagine if like, you leave service today, you're walking out to your car, and you look up and you see an angel flying through the sky. And he's, he's yelling some loud words. Fear God! Judgment is coming! Worship him who created everything! Like, we probably wouldn't look at that and say, huh, all right, and then get in our car and drive to Chipotle. <laughs> probably wouldn't do that. We'd probably be like, what on earth? Like, wow, some of us might just like fall to our knees and say, God, oh, I worship you. That would be a crazy sight, wouldn't it? <laughs> so here's this angel flying through the sky, and this angel doesn't have a message of judgment or wrath. He's actually got a message uh, of a call to faith, proclaiming the eternal gospel. I love that description. This is the only time you'll see that, the eternal gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is, is good news, right? But the gospel is eternal good news. Did you know that? The gospel is actually rooted in eternity. Did you know that Jesus was always the plan? Like, God created the angels, it seems, first, and a bunch of them rebelled. Satan led a rebellion and tried to overthrow God, and he banished them out of heaven, and God didn't go like, ah, oh, messed up. What was I thinking? Ah, oh, I'll make man, and now he needs someone else, so here's Adam and Eve, and then they rebel against him, and he's like, what on earth am I thinking? I didn't know this was going to happen. Okay, angels, come together. Those of you, you're still with me, right? You're still with me? Like, we got to figure out what to do because, like, these guys just rebelled against me. I don't know what to do. I, don't, I, I wasn't prepared for this. Like, Jesus was always plan A, not plan B or C. Did you know that? The gospel, the good news of Jesus, which really is the good news of the whole message of God, is rooted in eternity. You can go back to the very, very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 3. Right after the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned, and judgment's coming now. God is speaking to Satan, the serpent. And he says this, verse 15, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first prophecy about what Jesus was gonna do in the ages to come, right there in Genesis 3. Okay, then Paul says this in Corinthians. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. Peter, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Revelation 13, okay, so we're in chapter 14 right now, the chapter we were just in at the end of season two. And all the people who belonged to this world worshiped the beast. They are the ones whose name were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Jesus was always the plan. The gospel is rooted in eternity. It is an eternal gospel. You know who else was also a part of God's plan? You were. Always. He had a plan for you. He had a calling for you. Ephesians, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. 
you have always been a part of the plan as well. God wants you in relationship with him. The gospel is eternal. So what is the gospel? How do you explain the gospel? If someone were to ask you, like, the gospel, that's like, that's like good news, but what is it? How would you explain the gospel? I would love right now to come and find one of you and just give you the mic. Just share with us all right now. Just explain just very quickly the gospel. If someone asks you this week, what's the gospel? What would you say? I, you know, I find that that exercise is fascinating because there's a lot of believers that don't know how to share or explain the gospel. I don't know. It's like, Jesus? Yeah? Okay, that's the, the, the heart, the core of it, but that's, that there's more. It's important for us to understand. So we got to know what the gospel is. And there's a lot of different gospels that are being preached today, guys. There's a consumer gospel. Consumer gospel makes it more about church than Jesus. Um, there's a prosperity gospel. There's, uh, there's political gospels. There's, um, we're not going to go deep into any of these, but these are, these are preached. There's a forgiveness-only gospel. There's a social justice gospel. And so we make, make those things all about the good news of Jesus. But Jesus came and preached a kingdom gospel. And it's important that you and I know what gospel Jesus preached. It was a kingdom gospel. He came and brought the kingdom. He preached the kingdom. So I want you to be able to explain the gospel, the kingdom gospel. And we really simplified it down. Like the gospel is so deep and powerful and just very amazing, guys. But we've simplified the simple gospel in five words so that you can remember and you can share this when people ask you. God, man, Jesus, me, kingdom. Okay, just in five words right there. God, man, Jesus, me, kingdom. God. Created the heavens and the earth, the universe, everything created us, you and I, in his image because he loves us and wants relationship with us. So God speaks to creation. But man did the rebellion. Okay, so we rebelled against God and sinned. So it started with Adam and Eve, but the truth is we've all sinned. And so because of sin, we broke that relationship with God. That closeness that we had is broken. We're, we're far from God and we're also sentenced to an eternal death because of our sin. But that Jesus comes in and brings the redemption. In the greatest act of love ever recorded in human history, Jesus, the perfect lamb, laid down his life and died, paid the penalty of death for our sins so that you and I don't have to experience the penalty of death when we ask for him to forgive us, receive his grace, and we become new people. We're a new creation, a new creature in him when we ask for forgiveness and step into that relationship with him. And so that's, uh, that's, that's the me. I got to kind of head of myself. Me is you and I have a choice in this. We have a choice. Am I going to believe this or not? And so when I do, when I ask for forgiveness, then I become a new person in Jesus. I have a relationship with him. I was dead, now I'm alive. I was dead spiritually, now I'm alive. So that's the confession. And then kingdom is all about you and I living a life of Submission. We're following King Jesus wherever he leads. So now we're, we're spirit-filled, spirit-led followers of Jesus, and we are uh, experiencing his presence and his power. Because as, as kingdom people, we can experience his kingdom, which is his presence and his power. 
at all times. Some of you, you come in here and you experience the presence of God. Maybe this is new. That's because you're getting a taste of the kingdom of God, of who he is. And you and I as kingdom people can take that everywhere. We bring the kingdom everywhere. We're called to announce and advance the kingdom of God uh, now and for the rest of our lives until King Jesus comes back and fully reigns and fully restores his kingdom here on earth. And he's coming back, friends. So that is, in a sense, the eternal gospel. It starts with creation. It ends with, hey, Jesus is coming back to reign forever, and we're going to live with him forever if we have believed in him and lived life for him. That is the full gospel right there. It's important you and I understand what that is. And some of you might think, why does it really matter? Because here's what I believe. The gospel that we believe is the gospel we live. And if I believe it's just only about forgiveness, and now I can just do whatever I want because I'm forgiven, I'm going to be with him in forever in heaven, then that's how I'm going to live, and I'm going to miss out on so much that he has for me. I'm going to really miss out on following the lamb wherever he leads me and experiencing his power and his presence in incredible ways. So we want to be kingdom people. We want to live the kingdom life because the gospel that we believe is the gospel that we live. So this angel is proclaiming the eternal gospel. Just before some other angels come out and are going to proclaim some more wrath and judgment, just like we've seen in other parts of Revelation. And so why is this angel going to do this? I think it's because it shows us God's heart. God wants people to be in relationship with him. He doesn't want people to be in hell forever. That is not his desire. Second Peter clearly tells us that. The Lord really isn't, uh, isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. This is his heart. He wants everyone to be with him in heaven. And so some people would say, well, like, why is Jesus taking so long? Like, come on, Jesus, come. I'm ready. Come now. Why are you waiting? And, uh, we've been talking about this for decades, for centuries now. Uh, you know, uh, even non-believers would say, oh, yeah, Jesus is coming. Huh? You've been saying that for 2,000 years. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. I guess he's coming back. Okay, so this scripture speaks to that. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. How many of you are thankful he didn't come back 20 years ago, huh? <laughs> he's being patient for your sake because he wants you to be in relationship with him and, he's, and there's more time. So that means there's more time for more people to come into relationship with him. What are we going to do about it? Because God wants everyone to be in relationship with him. And still, some people would say, well, like, so if God really loves us, why would he send people to hell? Which is a good question. I think that brings about some really good discussions, healthy discussions with people. But truth is, I think that God doesn't send people to hell. We choose hell because he's given us a choice. In his infinite love, God has given you and I a choice. Are we going to follow and worship him or follow and worship the beast? And people may not intentionally follow and worship the devil, the beast, but if they're not following the lamb, that's the only other option. There's only two sides in this battle that is going on. So we got to decide which side are we going to be on. So this is God doing this in his love. You, you realize that, right? Because he loves us. He loves you so much, he's given you a choice. Because that's what love does. 
Amy and I just celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary this last week yeah, with our amazing romantic beach getaway. <laughs> and so that means, you know, 20, over 20 years ago, we started dating. And our dating life, you know, went on some dates, and you know, we have interesting, fun stories. But here's what did not happen in our dating life, just so you know. I, I did not kidnap her, throw her in the trunk of my car, drive to Las Vegas, go to the Elvis wedding chapel and force her to marry me. That's not how our dating life went. If that's how our dating life went, you'd, you'd think like, that's not love. That's abuse. That's control. Like, that's weird. Like they, they make up crazy television shows about stuff like that, right? That's not love. Because love is both of us had a freedom to choose one another. She chose me and I chose her. And while we were on this trip this last week, Amy literally looked at me and she says, Tyrone, we, you know, we're just reflecting on 20 years. You know, it's, it was fun to just reflect a little bit. She says, Tyrone, I choose you all over again. It was very sweet and romantic. <laughs> and so I looked her deeply into her eyes <laughs> and I romantically replied, Ditto. <laughs> I did, actually. I said that just to be funny. Because sometimes I ruin those good moments by being cheesy. But then I did say, I actually, no, I, I would choose you all over again, too. Because that's what love is, right? It's, 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 we're choosing each other still every day. Choose to love you. Because love is a freedom to choose. Could you imagine if I went off on a trip? And I boarded up our house and I locked all the doors and like, Amy, you can't leave the house. You can't talk to anybody. You can't do nothing until I get back. You'd be like, whoa, hey, that's, that's, that's weird. Because that doesn't look or sound like love, does it? Love is freedom to choose. Love is freedom to trust. That's what love is. And God in his infinite wisdom has given you and I the freedom to choose. If we're gonna follow him, or not. It's our choice, friends. So the question is this. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.